eccentric, paranoid with reason. Billionaire, billionaire, <laughs> I fucked it up already. Billionaire playboy, retired art teacher, Christopher Crayola. No, I'm just, it was me, Big Will, the whole time, every whole podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. It's me, Tom. That's right. I had to bring the classic guy back. Yep, we're here. I, I, I fooled you. It's not It's not what I said it was. It's us, the, the original team back. I had to bring Tom in because it was getting a little too crazy out there in the wilderness. Uh, shout out to my renegade band of co-hosts that uh, have been accompanying me as of late. But sometimes we got to, we got to, like, uh, like they say when the CIA undercover agents are too, you got to bring them in. We got to bring you on in. We got to right. bring you on home. That's what you had to do to me. You had to pull me in tonight. Yeah, I mean, um, it's nice hearing this salad of people kind of uh, doing a different take on whatever it is I do. <laughs> no one can do a take on what you No one can take I, on I actually, what you I do, couldn't sir. recreate what I do because yeah. I'm, I'm not really all there. You're like a drunken master, like I, the, yeah, or, or an, uh, what's that guy that put paint in his butt and Jackson, Jackson Pollock. Was oh that? yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, there's no, it's just, ha- it just happens. Kind of yeah. like when I do vocals. Like I just, I don't know. Is, are there words? It's death metal. Who Between knows? being called a drunken master and, uh, being compared to Jackson Pollock, I need a drink <laughs> right now. Within the first 30 seconds yeah. of the podcast. No, listen, how are you doing though, Tom? Cause, cause in all reality, we always got to catch up with you every once in a while. But you're always yeah. behind the scenes, like the hands of God, editing the podcast and producing us. But we, we always want to keep in touch with you. I need an avenue to make mistakes, so I keep my foot in this river. That's my that's my like that's what I call my dating life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, everything's good, man. I busy sound world stuff is cool. Um, just got roped into a neat project that I can't talk about. You right told now. me. I told you. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Don't Whoa. worry about it. That's just a bass. I struck a power cord on your bass accidentally, <laughs> man. That's that's what kind of zone we're in right now. There's digital computer stuff that can make up for basses. I don't yeah. need it anymore. I'm we'll, just throwing it out. We'll punch it in. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I told you what I'm up to, which is cool, but uh, it would be premature to announce it. But mm. uh, pretty psyched. Mm working on a project yeah i i'm anticipating that and i hope that you were given credit for you might go under a like a pseudonym i might who knows um what's going on with you oh boy doing a lot of um remember like maybe like a year and a half to two years ago i was renovating a closet and i i, I had all these uh I made, closet, I made shelving right? for all the, yeah. the cassette tapes and the cd and i alphabetized all the cds and cassettes and da 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 and, um i I took that. Thank you, sir, for this uh, this this Yingling traditional lager, an American beer. Um, got thirsty real quick. No, no. You feel free to send us a check, Yingling. No, no plug. But um, I took those that skill set that I honed with my Dewalt gear. Dewalt hashtag Dewalt tough. Okay. Uh, trying to get the sponsorship, people. Um, look for me on social media with Dewalt to try to. If, if you guys list the listeners, if you could kind of push that along with the Dewalt people, yeah. If you I'd know Mister Dewalt, trying to get a free screw gun out of this, but look. Um, uh, the broom closet, nasty, oh, in my parents' house, my, right. mother, my mother's broom, God bless it, but got this old dusty junk in there, yeah. for some reason there's like a dozen T-squares, different, and like measuring stick, rulers, wooden measuring stick, I don't know, cleaned it out, now it's got shelving for cookbooks, it turns out the same dimensions that you use to make a, a, a death metal tape shelf can be applied 
um, uh, and multiplied using math to make a cookbook shelf or for any sort of book shelf. Hmm. So yeah, we got we got all the books locked up in there. It was nice. Did some renovation around the house. Got dusty. Um, it was beautiful. Rest in peace to Dusty from Z- uh, ZZ Top. Um, and I also, I found time after I cleaned up. I visited our old friend Timmy from Record Reserve Record oh, yeah? Store. How's he doing? Doing great. You guys should all, if you're in the Long Island area, check out Record Reserve of Huntington. I believe now he's in Huntington Station, technically. Uh, but Record Reserve Record Store of Huntington on Jericho Turnpike. Okay. Up there now. Yeah, he's got a little bit more of a central location for people who aren't from Huntington or aren't on the North Shore. He was always in Northport there. He's got a new little shop there. Um, I dropped a couple of... I got Black Sabbath, uh, Sabotage. Nice. I got um, Kansas, Vinyl Confessions. Do not sleep on Kansas out there, please, guys. Very interesting, progressive music. Um, and then we caught up a little bit, man. A good guy. If people want to catch up with Timmy, um, the good place to start would be our old interview from back in the day. We did a whole interview with Timmy uh, about the history, his own history. He actually is in one of the first documented death metal bands in the world, yeah. right out of upstate Smut, New York. Right? Was it Smut? Smut? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we have the. He gifted us some re-releases. Oh, yeah, no, uh, John Santiago. Did. John Santiago yeah, yeah. Um, re-released the the original Smut um, album, but that's a whole other story. Go back and listen to our interview with Timmy of Record Reserve, uh, because tonight, you know, I was talking about somebody who's in a master class. I was talking about death metal vocals. Can can you understand the words? Well, some people know how to pronounce them. Uh, I talked about all that stuff and more because none other than. Mike DeSalvo is going to be in the house this evening. Uh, legendary classic death metal vocalist from years past. Uh, you already know where he's from. Maybe uh, if you don't know, you're going to find out about his latest project that's been ongoing for several years. We'll get into it. A Curian. Uh, Tom, roll that beautiful beat for us. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and today my guest is a guest that probably needs no introduction for most of our listeners, but I'll say it anyway. This is uh, Mike DeSalvo of uh, Acurian, and also formerly of Cryptopsy and Infestation and other projects. We'll get on, we'll get into it. Mike, how are you? Excellent, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, thank you for your time, and welcome to Heavy Hole Podcast. Um, awesome. Yeah, like I said, behind the scenes, I have a lot of questions, and um, you have a, a a long and storied career, I should say, so we'll get into it. But before we get into the death metal, we always start from the top, so I'll hit you with the typical question. Uh, are you from a musical family? Any musicians in your family? Uh, or anyone who steered you into heavy metal and hard rock music um, as a kid? Yeah. <laughs> um- no, not really. Uh, I have I have a cousin that plays drums. Uh, he's younger though. I also actually another cousin. Uh, they're both from uh, from the, the they're both from my uh, from my aunt. Uh, she, she plays piano, and so yeah. So I mean, there there is after the fact, I guess, uh, some some more musicians in in the family. But but uh, before me, I, nobody. There was never a guitar in the house, never anything like that. So it was kind of just uh, I had a. You know, huge allure to to music as a kid. <clears throat> I had a, a cousin of mine who introduced me to a lot of like 
rock, classic rock stuff. Uh, she would let me listen to her records. And, and that sort of, I'd say that really sort of set things straight for me in terms of uh, certainly a love of music, but, uh, but love of vinyl and um, uh, experience in new, you know, new music. And uh, that was a huge, uh, huge asset uh, for, uh, for my, uh, for my early learning experience of, you know, what I liked and uh, you know, what, what kind of bands I was interested in and, you know, cause a lot of it steeped in seventies uh, classic rock. I and mean, that's really where it sort of blossomed for me, you know? Okay. And uh, you're originally from Boston. Yeah. Yeah, I was born in Chelsea. Okay, so um, now I know I quickly I want to credit uh, you've done several interviews and I always credit my research and I try not to make you drag out the same story over and over again. <laughs> so I, I want to credit Grizzly Media, um, Juice Pro Wrestling Podcast, Reaper Metal Productions and Cali yep. Death Podcast and of course Metal Archives uh, for my research. Um, and as we go into that, I know that you have uh, kind of a passionate love for old school hockey. That's fair to say, right? Absolutely, man. I'm a fucking huge hockey fan. I'm a hockey fan anyways, but yes, old school hockey, 100%. Love it. So that, I would imagine, is something that goes back to childhood, no? Absolutely. You know, I mean, some of my earliest memories, I actually remember being a kid and saying how much I liked number four and not not even knowing his name, <laughs> not knowing Bobby Ola's name. So that was shit, man. I must've been, uh, that must've been three or four years old, somewhere in that range. So, I mean, it is a very early, early on memory of watching uh, the Bruins games against, you know, especially games against uh, uh, Montreal and, you know, Quebec and uh, Buffalo back then to a little, maybe a little bit later, but, uh, but certainly, you know, New York Rangers and Chicago, all those Detroits. And, you know, I do remember all those, those teams and, you know, the, the early uh, um, Vancouver, um, uh, the Canucks, were there, uh, before they were that, I think they were, shit, were they the Rockies back then? I remember a lot. Anyways, I, I, I do remember a lot of those like old school, um, games and that's that's certainly what i you know what i grew up with uh, was watching that and watching literally watching guys fight so there was like <laughs> bottles of blood on the ice like I mean, that's the type of hockey that yeah that i oh i long for fucking <laughs> big time yeah I, I'm, I don't know if you have like a um a, a hatred for or a rivalry for the uh the islanders Cause I'm, you know, I'm Long, I'm Long Island here, right in the backyard, and I, you know, I've never followed hockey particularly closely, but um, uh, the, you know, growing up in the '80s, the Islanders, you know, the Stanley Cup, and all, like it was like they were like a storied team, and it was a, a big thing Absolutely. for Long Island out here. They were a tough team too, and uh, they were they were a dynasty. I mean, where they went four four years in a row, and they were some crazy. they had some tough motherfuckers on that team, just Clark Gillies and. Uh, you know, Bobby Nystrom and uh, they were a, they were a tough team for sure. Um, I, I don't, you know, what? It's, it's a team that I never had uh, a dislike or, a, or, a, you know, really much of a care for. Like uh, they're not, a, they're not a team that ever, you know, struck me like a, you know, like a Hartford Whalers or a Quebec or a Montreal, certainly Montreal. I fucking hate, <clears throat> I hate that team. You know, hate well that team. Well, don't don't you live in the Montreal area now, or are you at? I, no, I'm back, man. I'm at, I'm actually back. I'm in New England again. I'm in New Hampshire now. So. Oh, I, okay, I, okay. So I was up there for 25 years, spreading the gospel of the Bruins. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. Everywhere it's, I went, it's like the great irony of your life. A Boston guy who's into hockey moves to Montreal, and you hate. I mean, it's crazy, but you can't make yeah. that up. Did you ever? Uh, I, I like I said, <laughs> I equated to like making friends everywhere I went. <laughs> 
in the city over there. Well, did did the now did you ever get to go to like a Bruins game up there or anything like that? Absolutely, several. Yeah. yeah. And was Lots. it was it just like you and a handful of people in a pocket somewhere uh, uh, cheering on the pretty, Bruins or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had guys I've had guys talk shit. And, you know, you give it right back. And I had a I had a guy at a uh, it was a it was a playoff game. It was actually when uh, Andy Mogul was playing for the Bruins. And uh, the Bruins were up actually, and I had this 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 fucking guy sitting next to me, and the two of us had our like arms on the on the railing, and we were like right up on each other. It was like it's like a fucking stupid cockfight, fucking for positioning on the in the yeah. in the seats, you know. And uh, but I wasn't backing down. I was like, man, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lean in on you all fucking night, you know. Uh, but you know, but it's, it's and I say that. I would never have started a fight or anything like that, but uh, but I say that it's just a uh, you know it's it's a rivalry and sometimes it gets a little uh, little deeper. Uh, you know, certainly being in Montreal for all those years, mostly almost every instance, everyone was fine and it was fun and it was you know it was a fun rivalry. You know, it was cool. I, I have had a couple of situations where people took it a little too far far and and then I play into it. I laugh. I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just a total asshole back in laughing in their face and uh, not again not to instigate much i mean not to instigate certainly not in a uh, you know fighting manner just to just to say hey you know like uh, uh the rivalry's there and uh you're taking it a you know a step further and i'm i'm certainly not gonna cower and hide over it either you know so it, it gets real in Where ho- hockey ho- hockey is a different beast than like your typical american sports you know what i mean I it, so. it's yeah <laughs> i've i have family from uh i have family that relocated to rochester and um uh, you know, we, we, we go to, um, uh, but what's the Buffalo, the Buffalo, uh, was it was the Sabres, the Sabres, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've been to a, I've been to a Sabre game years ago and, um, there's a, there's a, I guess the Rochester team is, is like, that's like the local, the smaller league, right? The, yeah. Probably uh, the, probably their AHL affiliate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've I've seen all these, but it's it's a huge culture uh, upstate and in Canada there, man. So I just I had to get a little talking about that, but kind of. St- <laughs> I right, well, because I knew you. Were, I heard you talk passionately about old school hockey, and we all know what that means. The uh, you know the gloves off fighting is is part because people well, people might not realize this in hockey. I mean, I don't know if it's still part. Maybe you can you could clue me in on this a little bit, but like having an old fashioned fist fight was allowable in the rules. It was part of the game at one. Still point. is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's literally the only sport you can you can fight and have a five minute penalty be back on the ice five minutes later and, you know, continue your game. <laughs> uh, you could have up, you know, I mean, back in the day, it used to be fuck guys would fight three times a night. Sometimes, you know, off the bench brawls were, uh, you know, regular enough. Anyways, I mean, every every year you saw, you know, a couple times anyways in a year off the bench brawls uh, just from the Bruins, you know, and every literally every guy's either standing off or, 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 you know, going at it. Like, uh, you, you know, sometimes you have like, you know, eight, 10 guys going at it at once and you got three refs out there to try to break it up. So, you yeah. know, so, so guys are getting shit beat out of them uh, back in the day. And I, it's just, you know, I, I grew up on it. I, I miss it. Uh, I, I think today's, today's game, I, I, you know, like I love hockey, but I don't love it like I used to love it because I think it is missing some of those things. And you do get like cheap, you know, some cheap shots when you get guys out there that, you know, might not be willing to fight or, or even when they let them, you know, even when they drop the gloves at this point, they fight and the guy, the refs are in breaking it up 
you know, seconds later. It's rare that they actually let them let them go like they used to. They let them mm. go two, two and a half minutes and, <laughs> and uh, burn them out. And, okay, all right, guys, you're done, you know. That's uh, a, but that's now they, they, like, the second, like, somebody, like, grabs onto a, a jersey, it's like, oh, oh we got to break this up. And now, you know, it's still a five-minute penalty, but <laughs> getting a second fight, chances are you might be tossed for the game. Sometimes you're tossed even just for – for like roughing, you know, a couple couple face washes and guys are being tossed out with, um, you know, 10 minutes left in the game. They're, they're tossed out for 10 minutes. It's just a totally different game now, you know, and it's a shame because, uh, you know, you can you can have you can have UFC, you can have boxing, you can have all these things. And this has always been a part of hockey. It always has been from mm-hmm. the beginning of time, you know, since since hockey began. And they, then you have a lot of people who came in and wanted to see it cleaned up, but it's not the people who were the real fans who were watching it. It's some outsider watching another sport, sees something they don't like, and, oh, we don't want to see this anymore, and then things change. And uh, it's it's a shame because uh, it always has been a part of hockey. And uh, when you start to take those things out, you start to see a lot of other things creep back in, like mm. cheap shots, like uh, hits to the head, like, you know, whatever it might be. You, you'll you see a lot more of that than you would see if someone's out there and you know, if I if I deck this guy, this guy's coming after me. That's hockey. That's that is hockey, you know, and the scoring and the other stuff. <laughs> it's like the old uh, adage of uh, of. Uh, uh, a hockey game broke out at the fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, sweet, I love it. I I hear you. There, well, there's you know, you mentioned MMA and even boxing. Like it's well, the, the whole point of hockey is like the fighting isn't the point. But no. if you go into this game under the assumption that there are certain situations where you just got to let these two guys scrap it out and handle it as, as part of the game, there's something to that. You know, there's something old old fashioned uh, appeal to that. So, um, so so now. I want, we'll probably get back into this too when we talk about later on in your life when you go to Montreal and being in a Canadian band but being an American uh, American guy. But but before we get into all that, Boston back in the day, uh, a man of your your generation, people are thinking of maybe the old school hardcore punk scene. They're thinking of violent shows, uh, skinheads, things of that nature. Um, dispel any of the mystery or the stereotypes or indulge us a little bit about what it was like coming up in punk and hardcore metal back in what I would assume would be the 80s and early 90s. Well, that, that's absolutely accurate. I mean, uh, that that all that stuff was going on. Uh, there was, you know, there was violence at the shows, um, unfortunately, um, because what you have, you, you know, Boston's one of those sort of miracle scenes where you... At back in the day, you had people that were metal fans, hardcore fans, punk fans, people that would go to the shows and everyone got along. You know, there, there was no divisiveness uh, early on. It did creep in there. There was there was a Nazi movement uh, of skins that had come in and were were causing lots of trouble at shows, kicking the shit out of people. <clears throat> you know, when you've got 20 guys, 25 guys deep. And you're there with two or three friends and you get jumped, you're fucked, you know? Um, so we, we did see a lot of that shit. And, you know, there, there's, there's another group I would, who I will not name um, that had come in and sort of cleaned them up. And when they cleaned them up, um, they basically chased them, chased them out of town. That's basically what happened. And then they sort of became the, the group who started beating on people and, and, and things of that sort. So, so it, you know, on one hand, you, you, you clear the scene of, of Nazis. And then on the other hand, you're, um, 
not making it a safe place for people, you know, which was a shame because, uh, because it was, you know, Boston is such a, such a great scene. It, it, it still is. I mean, it's not, it's not like it used to be, but there was certainly a lot of camaraderie between people who were going to shows. You became friends with everyone. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things. I, you go to a show and literally you go into like the Boston and uh, you go into Boston at the, uh, the channel famed uh, uh, club back in the day <clears throat> everyone came through there you name the band they came through there and uh you'd go there and they'd be like you know let's say there's three four five hundred fucking kids at a show and half of them you're walking in shaking hands with at least you know it's that kind of scene and uh and and i'm sure new york is much the same you know and i'm sure the other scenes are the same in in that regard at some point uh, but uh, but boston is a scene that we were privileged to grow up in and be a part of a, a thriving, a thriving scene that not only extended to the local bands, but obviously national acts. I mean, the national acts came in and people came out, but the local bands at one point, people were, uh, were diehards, you know? And so that's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's an amazing place to sort of cut your teeth and, uh, and, you know, be a part of that scene. I'm very, very, very proud to, to, um, to still be in it, but, but to have spent so much time in it at an early point when metal was considered and punk and hardcore, we were considered pieces of shit in the rest of society. Mm. And we managed to bond together and, and to blossom that scene into what, it, what, you know, what has become everywhere, you know, world worldwide, not saying it's come from Boston, but I'm just saying that's the scene had, you know, it, it had to blossom and it had to blossom in lots of places for it to be the, the mega giant that it is now. And uh, I was, I was privy to see, that scene blossom and, uh, and get cultivated and just explode over time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a legendary scene um, in its own right. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, what society thought of people who were into this type of music in a, in an interview this morning, I wrote down, you, you said, um, uh, people, you guys were maggots. You were outcasts uh, as the metalheads in town, that's, oh, yeah. That sort of thing. Maybe just take us back into your first experience with a band. I know you said that at some point, um, kind of typical story, you were the guy that didn't have an instrument, so you and your your, your buddies uh, needed a singer. Someone had a mic and a speaker and, and just plugged in. Maybe take us from that um, in, into, like, Infestation. Because if I got it correct, there's, like, Skeletal Onslaught, and there's maybe a few other names, and then Infestation is the first band with, like, original songs and playing shows, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it, very close. Uh, I mean, we were doing with Skeleton Launcelot. That was that was the first band I was in, and we were writing our own own songs, you know. And you know, it was like a like a thrashy, yeah, thrashy borderline death metal kind of thing. We were, you know, we were we were still learning. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to be, who we wanted to be, and um, you know, obviously, um, uh, when you've got, you know, you. I mean, at the time, we were listening to a lot of like, you know, Metallica and overkill and testament and stuff like that so a lot of that sort of weaned its way into what we were doing i wouldn't say that we were you know we were we were, we were still learning instruments i was still learning to sing you know all those things and then i was also uh with a with a hardcore band called mindscape at the time and we were also doing our own our own stuff we were both both bands we were doing a little bit of covers um but not out live it was just more just just ham jam kind of stuff but uh but when both of those uh those bands had um uh, had broken up. Uh, of course, I, I had come down with Infestation was, uh, uh, they were actually already playing. So it was Mark Brophy and uh, Eric Barraby and Mike Hubbard and uh, Matt Raymond. <clears throat> they had, I had played with Matt and uh, Mark Brophy with Skeletal. And uh, so they had 
once Skeletal had broken up and we were, we were with um, uh, Mindscape for, I guess, maybe a couple of months, um, and we went through a name change also, those guys started jamming together. So when that became uh, defunct, they had uh, they said, oh, you know, like, you're not doing anything. Why don't you come down and listen to what we've got? You know, we got a bunch of songs right now, three or four or five songs, whatever it was. So I came down, you know, I loved it. Uh, I already had familiarity with uh, with Mark and um, and Matt. So it was sort of an easy transition to come in. You know, I wanted, you know, we had done demos with both of those other bands, but I obviously wanted to take it to the next level. I really wanted uh, that band to, you know, certainly do demos. We had to, you know, sort of follow the, the path of every rock or metal band back then you do your demos and then you start shopping around and see if there's, if you can, you know, if you can get some, some label interest. So we had that, that was something that was always um, at the forefront. We did want to put demos out and then tour and, uh, and then obviously get, uh, get a, get a uh, deal. So, uh, so that we, we pushed hard and we played, we played a lot of shows. We did radio spots. We, um, you know, we, we honed our, uh, our uh, skills and, you know, both, both personal and, you know, just songwriting and, and it as a unit. And uh, it was, it was very rewarding. Uh, I would say that's when it really started to kick in. You know, I always liked, uh, this was always something I wanted to do. You know, at some point when, when I wanted to do it, I, that was it. I, I, I put complete focus towards it. Uh, but with infestation was the first time I think that I felt, okay, we could take this to the next level. And, uh, and we're starting to really, you know, as, as a unit, we were gelling and, uh, we were playing a lot of shows in Boston and we were, you know, we were sort of the, the band, the go-to band that was, you know, for, for death metal, uh, us and a few other ones, uh, delusion and desolate, <clears throat> a few other ones, scatter remnants and things like this along the way that, that started to come out. Um, but we were the one band, uh, among a few that were asked to play all the metal shows, you know, so it was starting, it really was starting to happen for us. That was a it was a great period of time, really. Okay, and um, you know, we we uh we recommend and talk about a lot of music. So just for the listeners, uh, quickly while we're talking about Infestation, both the Visions of Repulsion, uh, nineteen ninety two, and Conceived ninety four demo were re released as the uh antecedent compilation by Redefining Darkness. Um, uh, I guess fairly recently in the last few years. So just if people wanted to look any of that up. And uh, check that out. It's it's out there, classic old school death metal, especially in this climate where people are revisiting a lot of this material. And uh, if I got it right, something I wanted to ask you about that it sounds it sounded kind of fun, honestly. Was I guess where you first come across and meet the Cryptopsy guys, who would end up becoming good friends of yours uh, long before you joined Cryptopsy. We'll get to that later. Uh, it was at kind of a keg party show in New Bedford, Massachusetts, back in the day. That sounds That's kind of, right. sounds like a pretty loose, fun kind of show. It was it was awesome, except for the fact that cops came and took the fucking kegs. <laughs> <laughs> they came in, honest to God, they came in. We had ten kegs, and the second the first band comes on, boom, the door kicks open. Oh, they man. come in and they're like, "Okay, they, they <laughs> take the trolleys, pull out the kegs, and they're like, all right, boys, have fun.' Close the door, and and away we went. Yeah." It was uh, it was definitely a loose uh, ten you know like a, a ten kega with ten bands and um, you know and, and probably five bucks uh, in our pockets at the end of the show and uh, that was fun you know it was it was definitely and, and that's actually like you said that's where I uh, where I met uh, the guys from Cryptopsy at the time I believe they were Gamora and I, I've gone back and forth with uh, 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 with uh, Lord Worm over uh, over this he's like no I don't think we were Gamora. 
uh, I was like, man, I'm pretty sure you guys were Gamora at that. So, so, so I, one of us is wrong. I'm not sure. I, I still, uh, I still hold uh, that it, that it, they, at that time they were Gamora, one show away from uh, becoming Cryptopsy. Oh, it was it was a couple of years ago, man. So who knows, man? We'll we'll leave it yeah. at, at that. But, um, and you know, it's like I said, man. I listened to a few of the other interviews. Uh, you did, and something that's you know that's very relatable and and predictable with underground music, where there's not always a huge budget going on. Um, at at a certain point, uh, Lord Worm has to step down from Cryptopsy, and I guess that was maybe what about three or four years after Infestation had broken up, or after you had parted ways with that group. No, it was actually pretty uh, pretty soon. It was it was actually within okay. a year. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so basically, what happened was. Um, when I had when I had moved up to Montreal, um, I had the intention of coming back, you know, whatever it was, every month or every six weeks to to continue with infestation. So the you know the, the goal was to to continue it. We we were talking about releasing. We were writing songs for a new album, so we were going to take a few. I think we were going to take a couple actually of um, of the songs from the demo, one or two. And uh, uh, I think I think they were uh, actually maybe one song from Conceived, if I remember correctly. And then we were going to take a couple old ones that we hadn't recorded. And then we had written, I want to say, three or four new ones. So we were planning to, to release a record. So when I made the decision to move up there, obviously, the guys were a bit like, uh, man, what's going to happen? I said, well, look, I'm going to I'm going to come down. That's it. You know, it's, it's six hours away. My family's here. Like, I'll be down. So um, but then it just. You know, I mean, as as it will, I think they, you know, a couple of guys were not feeling it per se. And it just we disbanded at the, you know, and, and I guess in hindsight, it was OK. Um, but I had the intention of doing that. And I actually felt really fucking terrible uh, when that happened. It was it was sort of, uh, you know, when you when you, you know, you're, you that was that was my baby along with four other guys. Hmm. You know, we were uh, we you know, we, we loved the band and we loved playing together so when when that when that was officially disbanded that hurt you know and uh but shortly after i was i was asked to uh once once lord warm had stepped down um Flo had come to me i was already friends you know obviously friends with uh with Flo, and we go out drinking and he was like you know what he's like why don't you come down we're we're gonna we're gonna need a new singer so uh i said all right well fuck i'll learn a couple tunes i'll come down and uh that was it it was uh i came down i, I jammed out a Two songs with them. I don't remember which ones. Uh, Slitty Guts was one, actually. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the other one was. Crown of Horns, maybe. And uh, I belted those out. And right away, they were like, okay, man. Awesome. This is great. You're in. So it was it was a nice, easy transition. It was really at a good time because I was at that bridge of, fuck, now what? <laughs> I don't have a band. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I know tons of, tons of musicians up here, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't equate to being in a band. You know, I was young. I was hungry. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, I really, uh, like I said, I set, I set my mind to, to doing big things. I still do set my mind to doing big things in music. And I, um, you know, that has never changed. So having that opportunity to uh, come down, play with those guys, you know, incredible musicians and, uh, and then to be uh, welcomed on board was, uh, was an absolute dream. Yeah. And, oh, okay. And if you don't mind my asking, had they been signed to Century Media prior to you joining, or, um, and was that in any way an issue, like the label saying, oh, wait, you guys got a new frontman, or or did that come afterward? That came afterwards. Um, okay. So I was in the band, oh, geez, I want to say um, 
at least a year, at least a year, maybe, maybe longer. And I think what had actually got that ball moving was us playing at, uh, at the uh, newly reformed now, but uh, uh, at the uh, Milwaukee uh, metal festival back in 97 or something like that, somewhere in that range. Um, 98, maybe I forget one of the, one of those two years. So we had, we had played, we had, we had a killer set. And, um, and then after, once we had that set, we started getting lots of uh, offers coming our way, both for shows and for, um, uh, for record label interest. So we had spoken to, we had, we had talks with pretty much all the, you know, both large and larger and small uh, metal ones, uh, metal labels. And uh, we decided to go with Century Media Records. We felt uh, they were going to, you know, really, really propel us in the direction that we we wanted to to go. So, you know, I I, I do regret signing the deal that we signed because it wasn't a good deal. Mm. Um, you know, that's on us. That's not on Century Media. That was that was on us. Uh, they were, you know, the. Uh, for for whatever circumstances, whatever the reasons were behind us um, signing as as quickly as we did, um, it happened. We did, and everyone, the five of us, signed it. So <clears throat> that's uh, you know, and 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 that's you know, that's uh, certainly something that has plagued other bands too. Um, but then again, on the other side of the coin, we had a we had a team that uh, at the time, Century Media had a great team that was uh, certainly backing us. And um, they gave us most things that we needed or wanted. And uh, so, I, you know, I mean, my personal experience with Century Media was, was very uh, positive, to be honest with you. Aside from signing a, a, a deal that was certainly in, way in their favor. <clears throat> uh, but again, like that's, that's not on them. So, that's, uh, so I, have, I, I hold nothing but positive uh, feelings about at least working with them at that time. I had great relationships with uh, with the, the people who were in the office, uh, both in Germany and uh, and in the states. So, yeah, I, I uh, they did a lot of good for us. I'll say that for sure. They did. All right, and people, you know. Um... People obviously always know that that uh, Whisper Supremacy is the first album um, with with you on vocals, but I don't know if people also realize that's the first and only album with Miguel Roy on guitar. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. Did, could you tell me about when he comes on in relation to when you like were you guys both the new guy at some point or how how does that happen? Yeah, we were. Uh, Miguel Miguel was already there, uh, but not too long before uh, before I came in. Um, if I remember correctly, he wasn't there for that long for sure. Um, yeah, no, he, uh, he was, you know, he, he, he was there for all the writing of the album. Uh, and he was there for the, at least the first, I think the first U S tour that we did. Was he there for the first U S tour? Yeah, I think so. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I think he was because we, I think what we did was we, uh, we snuck him in <laughs> to the States <laughs> to, to go on that tour. And, uh, and then, uh, I think subsequent ones, uh, there was, there was an issue with him not being able to get into the States legally. Mm. So for, for us to get work, uh, visas, it, there would have been an issue when we were a little bit concerned. I think they were tightening up the ropes in terms of crossing the border and, and, and certainly working, you know, we took a chance and we, we lucked out, um, to do it again. We weren't feeling that we were going to be able to do that. And because of his, his unfortunate restrictions, um, we had to let him go. 
It was um, it was a shame because Miguel's a fucking great dude and a great guitar player too. Real uh, real solid guy, real uh, uh, easy, adaptable, uh, great fucking musician. You know, great great songwriter. Uh, he's he's you know I get I, I love the kid. So it was it was it sucked to see him go. Um, and then we started to uh, see you know at at that point it was uh, we we. We had talked to a few people. I don't remember if a lot of people had come down to to try out after he was uh, after he was gone. But we needed another guitar player, and we ended up going with Alex Auburn, mm-hmm. um, of course. And uh, Alex, a great dude too. So you know, it was lose one one great dude and gain another great dude and great musician. So yeah, that's yeah. one thing. Uh, there was no short supply of it was fucking amazing musicians in that band. They were uh, <laughs> they were a dream to fucking play with. I'll tell you that. Well, my next question was going to be about Alex Auburn coming in, not to take anything away from uh, from him in either way, but um, he would go on to spend, if, I'm, if I got this right, he would go on to spend 12 years in the band um, and kind of take the helm when uh, John uh, Levasseur, if I got his name right, uh, yeah. would, would leave. Uh, I think he, John, we'll get into that. John probably left uh, around the same time as, as you after, and then you'll beg. But when Alex first came in, did like what? Looking back now, um, like reflecting on that, are you surprised, or does it make sense, or could you see it even then that he would take the helm of the guitarist of the band and stay with it for as long as he did? Uh that's a good question. Um, there were times that I thought maybe he he would not remain, um, but and and I I think you know that, and I really think that's just sort of steeped in the fact that. You know, he was writing other stuff with with uh, you know he had another project before and uh, uh, Schism, I think was was the name of his band before, and I, so I know he wanted to to put a record out from that. Um, maybe he was you know he he may have felt at some point uh, as now he's the new guy. You know, I mean, I was the new guy for a while. I was called the new guy, uh, even even with the guys, I was the new guy um, for a long time. You know, so so he became the new guy. You know. And, um, so, you know, you always wonder, you know, maybe this guy will, you know, maybe he'll, he'll bump, uh, and, and, you know, go on his, his solo career or whatever and, and finish up his records like that. Uh, but, uh, but I was wrong, you know, any, any time that I would think about it, that, that he, that he would not to say that I thought on it a lot, but it was certainly something that I said, it, it, it's certainly a real possibility that he'd leave, but yeah, I mean, 12 years, I don't know if it's 12 years or not. But he was definitely there for you know he was there for another record after I think he I think he was part writer of of the the self titled Cryptopsy record if yeah. I might be wrong on that but I think he he was writing some of the stuff on that one he certainly wrote the ones on the on the album before that hmm. uh, I think he wrote uh, most of that record actually so uh, yeah so I mean you know he's he's a very good guitar player and uh, and he's he's a uh, he's a metal guy he's a you know he's a guy that likes to be he's a road warrior road dog. You know, he wants to be on the fucking road. He did anyways back then, you know. That's and, a big that's uh, a big so, factor. That'll keep you in the game. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, either you love it or you, you know, it's it's really no in between. It, it's not, <laughs> a, you know, being on the road can't be a, yeah, it's okay. It's fun. It's either you fucking love it and you do it or mm. you're just out of the band and you're not doing it. You know, I mean, it's really, that's it. You know, you can try and think you're going to do it. You know, how many guys have you known that have like, oh, yeah, I'm going on tour for like six, seven days in. And they're like, please shoot me. You know, fucking send me home. Get me out of the shit. Yeah. So sometimes not it's, for everyone. It's, it's not it's not how many paradiddles you do or uh, no. how, what label you're on. It's just how much no. you can tolerate being in a van 
for hours at a time with yes. these other guys. Yeah, that's, that's an absolute fact. Oh man, that's what it comes down to. All right, well, I appreciate that. And let me let me ask you one more question. Not 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 to um uh you know get get your uh get you to talk about these guys so much, but one more question while we're on Cryptopsy here. Um, take take that question one step back further because you've known Flo. Is it Monier Flo? Yeah, Monier. Flo yeah. Monier. Uh, again, Long Island. I'm trying my hardest with the pronunciations. Yeah, here. you're good. Uh, you're good. Flo, Flo Monier. Um, you've known him for a very long time, going back to even before they were called Cryptopsy. I think it's safe to say, looking back from here, that he's kind of kept that project and that brand uh, of Cryptopsy going all this way, and has. Um, used it to kind of have his own platform as a drummer and a drum teacher and all that's so all these sort of things he's known for. Um, I was just going to ask if in the same way, maybe you could reflect on the flow you met at that keg party that the cops busted up, uh, up till the flow that like continues to be, you know, a world renowned drummer, um, you know, helming cryptopsy even today with a, with a newer uh, lineup. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, when I, when I first met him, he, uh, I, I want to say he was like 17 years old. That kid was wow. phenomenal. Mm. He was at that time, you knew he was going to be an elite drummer in, uh, in metal. If he, if, if he continued to choose to, to play, you know, in anything, whatever it was, he was going to be an elite drummer and is uh, an elite drummer. Back then at 17 years old, that kid could fly. It was, it was something to see him play. Um, and he was brand new to the band at that time. So when he had, when, you know, I, I, I think he had maybe done, he might have had like three shows under his belt or something. Uh, I don't think it couldn't have been much more than that. He was he was pretty new to the to uh, to that lineup at that time, um, you know. And Flo's Flo's a good friend of mine. So you know, we I think once I left the band, um, you know, there was a period of time where we weren't talking as much. That's that's accurate to say uh, for no other reason that you know he's they had the train. The train was the train was rolling for them. So you know he was busy. I was busy. I was trying to get myself back on track. So you, you, lo- you lose contact with people. It wasn't for any other reason than that, you know? And uh, over the years, we've, we've gotten uh, back together in terms of like talking and, you know, and having a, um, a more, am- not amicable, but we've always been amicable, but more friendly relationship, I guess. Um, we're, uh, you know, like I'll text him, he'll text me. And, you know, uh, he, you know, he came to my wife's, uh, Came to my wife's funeral, which I, you know, I fucking respect the hell out of that. We hadn't really been talking much before that. And, you know, but it doesn't matter. All that shit transcends. Um, the friendship transcends over, you know, whatever fucking shit happened in the past and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I love that guy. I, I uh, respect him dearly. Hmm. Great drummer, consummate professional. Um, you, you, I don't think you'll find a guy that has a, a bigger work ethic than uh than him um you know i mean i know that from experience that he wants to be one of the best if not the best drummer out there and he fucking strives for it and he he is an absolute elite drummer i i i, I you know I'd, I'd pair him off against anyone mm. uh, seriously wow all right i, I um I, well, i'm glad to hear that i'm glad to hear you guys are, are still friends throughout this uh absolutely. this this whole life of metal um and uh, yeah, again, like you know, not to pair him off or compare him to anyone, but the uh, this the 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 Canadian scene, and I, you know, I know you have had a little bit of interaction. You've did a guest appearance later on in their career for Cataclysm, um, who who've always been associated, maybe in some ways, in, in that old school Canadian scene as some of the, the the big dogs. I I'm getting what I'm getting at here is drummer Nick Miller 
um, who was with Cataclysm, uh, I, th- I think briefly, only for maybe an album or, or two. He's uh, another drummer that had a very interesting style for that era of death metal that kind of like transcended in terms of speed and the tempos he would keep. Did you ever interact with them, with Cataclysm, while he was in the band or get an opportunity to see him live or anything? No, I don't know, Nick. At least I don't. Uh, the name, mm-hmm. definitely not. Maybe I've met him uh, over the years, but I, I, that's that's not a name that's familiar with me. Fair uh, enough. Fair yeah. enough. I was just trying to get at if maybe um, there was any cross pollination in the in the in the the region with you know because to have two drummers with such remarkable styles, uh, maybe it's just some of that that Canadian mountain water coming off, man. I don't know. Um, uh, but- you know what? The, we had a we had a. Um, this is a question that's that's actually come up a lot over the years. Is, you know why why Quebec? Why uh, why the province? Why are there so many gifted musicians that come out of there? Like guys who are it's you know you never find a band that's a one two three four band <laughs> that comes out of uh, you know paint by number bands out of Quebec. You just don't find that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and someone had brought it up and said I forget who the hell it was. I think it might have been. Uh, Lord Worm actually in an interview that we had done and he I think he nailed it by saying that uh, it, you know Quebec has been one of those places that have always embraced 70s 60s and 70s prog rock mm. so it is it is something that is somehow transcended into the into the stream uh, of Quebec musicians over over you know at least a, a at least, uh, you know, someone's, you know, the, the fathers of the, the people who were playing uh, uh, and, and then them starting to learn. They grew up listening to a lot of these like Quebec ones, like Harmonium. And uh, there's, there's a stack of like progressive Quebec bands. And then and then you've got, you know, how many how many started to come out? You know, Boy Vaught, to, total game changer, uh, Dead Brain Cells, total game changer. You know, these bands, when they when they first came out, were doing shit that no one else on the planet was doing. And I think it was all steeped in the fact that prog rock is so well-loved and respected in Quebec that they were listening to it from their parents or their grandparents or whoever the hell it was that was listening to that, that mm. stuff, that style. And it just has always been there. And uh, I think there's something to say about that. I, I think it's much more than people stuck inside their house seven, you know, seven months a year uh, because it's so goddamn cold that all you can do is play, you know, play your instruments, <laughs> try and get better and better and better. Okay, fine. Is it something to do with it? Perhaps, but uh, but I don't. I, I really do think it's it's more in line with the type of music that's been accepted widely uh, and uh, for so long in Quebec that uh, and still continues to be uh, a much loved style and genre of music that uh, people have just embraced it at an early age and grew up listening to it, and that's why you've got some of the some of these these phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal gifted players mm. to, to this day you've got some amazing young young talent too um in addition to the legacy uh, uh acts coming out of uh absolutely quebec and and, uh, and uh, um other parts uh north of me here um and when you uh just uh round, rounding up the cryptopsy talk here um uh, when you joined Cryptopsy, and I imagine when Century Media comes into the picture and Whisper Supremacy is released, there's like a step up in touring. Um, was that your first, like with Infestation, I know you guys were giving it a push, but with Cryptopsy, was it like a different level of touring and traveling that you hadn't seen yet? Oh, yeah, big time. That's that's really where it uh, where it took off. You know, I mean, with, with Infestation, 
you know, I mean, all the bands, you know, back from Skeletal to, to Mindscape, we were playing shows, we were playing local shows. It was, you know, we got into Boston with all, with both those bands. So we were playing, um, you know, we got to play uh, the channel, like I was saying, and, you know, a few other places that were, were sort of the, the harder to get into places. So we were already doing that, but I think with Infestation was the first time that we started to play outside of just um, New England per se, or, or just outside of Boston. You know, So we were playing, we did play Vermont and, and uh, obviously New Hampshire, and we got got to go up to Maine. We played in New York, and <clears throat> so we, you know, it, it, there wasn't. And we we had plans to do an East Coast tour. Um, it fell through, but um, but it was we were at that point where when it was just about to start to happen. Um, once once Cryptopsy, once I joined Cryptopsy, excuse me, playing through. There's so many places to play in Quebec, so a lot of the focus early on was playing all over Quebec. And I mean, fucking all over you. It's a, it's a huge province. And there are many, many, many towns that they, you know, the province loves, it's the Mecca of metal, you know, in North America. Absolutely. Uh, perhaps in the world. I mean, it's certainly one of the, one of the, what I find one of the, one of the absolute best places to play is in North America for sure is Quebec hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and all over too. So it's not just, it's not just, section to Montreal or Quebec city, or it's fucking every town you go to, you're guaranteed that the kids are going to come out to the shows. They really do support it. Um, so we were doing a lot of those shows and then we were doing some off. Uh, at first I was booking some shows in, um, in new England and New York and a few of these places. So the East coast, the Northeast was sort of covered in, uh, in the States from me. Um, we did have a manager at the time that was booking some shows, in Quebec and all around Quebec, he had he had the market down um, at that time. And then, of course, once once the album came out, then it was then it was all balls out. I mean, it was we were fucking touring all the time. And we you know we did Europe a few times. We went to Japan. We went through the states and, and Canada. You know, we we had some long long tours. We I think uh, I think it was. The tour that we did with Candaria and uh, shit, when when the hell was that? We, I think it was for, uh, I think it was for Daniel Beck actually, and we did six weeks on that tour. That was the most we did, six weeks. So I think we had done at some point we had or close to it, we had done 40, 40, 46 shows or forty five shows in forty eight days. I mean, wow, <laughs> it's just like intense. Uh, brutal, you know, yeah. uh, hardest job I've ever had. Most rewarding job I've ever had. It's a job. It is a job. Uh, it's a love. It's a job you love, but it's definitely a job uh, at that point. You're doing, um, you know, you're uh, even if you, you're on on stage for an hour a night. I mean, there's there's it's it's, it's, it's grueling, <laughs> it's, you know, for sure. Anyone who's toured will will agree with that. It is amazing. Uh, but 40, 40, 45 shows in 48 days. That was uh, that was incredible. That's a lot, man. Yeah, uh, and I mean, kind of segueing off of that. Well, I I wanted to ask you because um, you've been very candid about your experience recording vocals for, and then you'll beg. And I did want to touch on that before we move on from from Cryptopsy, but maybe segueing into that. Did you find it was hard to protect your voice playing that many shows in a row, in a row, like traveling, being in a band? Did you come up with new techniques or would you have maybe even any tips for aspiring death metal vocalists like in, in that realm? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you definitely, it is in, without a doubt, a learning experience on multiple levels. Um, one of the things that I, that I, you know, I mean, you always hear about it and stuff and, you know, one-off shows, two-off, three, whatever it is, like a weekend worth of shows. I wasn't so concerned about it, but when you're talking, you know, this amount of shows or, you know, um, four weeks out on the road or something like that, <clears throat> um, I, what I would do is I would get, I would get tea. It's a classic tea and honey. So I would, after the show, I'd have some, you know, dump a bunch of honey in some tea and that coats your throat. It does help. Uh, a lot of vitamins. I used to take vitamin C and vitamin D and a few other things, uh, oregano oil and, um, uh, what's the shit from uh, salmon? <laughs> the, uh, Oh, was it Omega oil or yeah, Omega threes? Yeah, yeah Omega, that's it. Yeah. Omega threes. So I would take that stuff in, in hopes that it would, would keep, you know, keep the cold at bay because yeah. you're, you're, you're out on the road. You're look, you, you know, you're, you're, it's a constant go. You're constantly going. You're probably, you know, from, in my case, I'm, I'm definitely having drinks after the show, <laughs> probably smoking a little bit after the show. Never before. I never did any of that shit before shows. Um, you know, so, I mean, it, it, it can, you know, your, your immune system will break down. You're around a bunch of guys, every, you know, there's always someone's getting sick. Uh, on the road so you're trying to stay away from that you're trying to you know take the vitamin c's and pound in those back and stuff like this so yeah for the most part i think all that stuff helped um i did get there, there were two times on tour and both times it happened was on a u.s tour once in denver and once in collingwood ontario um that i had lost my voice uh and it was because i was sick and i had been holding i i got sick on the one, the one that was in Denver, uh, that show, I got, I was sick for like a week. So I was belting. We had seven shows during that week. Mm. So, you know, you still, you're fighting through it and, uh, you're in such a, you know, because you're, you're in such, you're in, you're so in the pocket by then because you, you know, you, you're playing every night. So everything's sort of clockwork anyway. So the voice kind of goes along with it too. So even if you're, you're sick, you still manage to pull it off until you can't, <laughs> and, you know, and it, and it has happened. I've had to, I had to cancel that show mm. for myself. I didn't play the band played and they had, we had uh, other singers come up, uh, other vocalists come up that were, that were there from other bands and they came up and sang some songs. Uh, and then the one in Collingwood I had, it was at the end of the tour and I just, I got, I got sick a few days before and I had, lost my voice completely and the next show was a huge show we were headlining in toronto um and that show was with i think we were headlining over opeth which was surprising uh, opeth was just at blackwater park i think at that point so it was kind of surprising that we were headlining that show to be honest with you and um they uh we wanted that show that that was a, obviously a marquee show so we wanted to make sure that we um we didn't fuck that up. So <laughs> we, we took that because I was sick for the last five days or four days before prior to that Collingwood show. Um, we took the, took the, the liberty to say, okay, why don't, why don't we have you set and we're going to play a, play an instrumental set. And that's what we did. And it, it paid off because the next night I felt better. And uh, we had a, we had an amazing show there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Toronto's, Toronto's one of those places that uh, you know. Obviously, you want to you want to put your, your best foot forward anywhere, any any place you play. But that Toronto's a uh, you know it's a mega city, and it's a, it's an important city to play. You know, and, and to be on that that show, the last the last show of the tour, um, it just made sense to step back and, and give my voice a rest. 
and um, it happens. Sometimes it happens. I think every singer has gone through it at some point or another. Mm. And uh, it sucks. You don't want it to ever happen, but when it happens, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to perform and it's and the only reason I didn't for both those times is because I was, my voice was wasted. I wasn't, I got zero. Um, I had, I had nothing, no force, no nothing. You know, uh, it was, it was basically coming out as, as uh, <laughs> voiceless, if you, if you will. So tough, uh, tough to make those decisions, but fuck it happens and uh, you move on and that's it. Yeah, hundred um, percent, man. That's just part of um, uh, what a lot of musicians go through. Not not just vocalists too, man. Other you know musicians go through that too with uh, uh, the use of their hands and their their feet in different ways. Right. Uh, you know that th- th- that's part of the game. And like I said, segueing into that, I've heard you be very candid uh, in other interviews about going into the recording of and then you'll beg. Um, also being sick. And having to do all of your vocal takes on that record, feeling under the weather. Yeah, it was more than under the weather. I had uh, I had the flu. Mm. <clears throat> so um, and then and then during during the recording of it, I had the flu, and then the recovery afterwards. So uh, blowing out, you know, nearly blowing out the voice and having no voice to begin with. That was um, that was without a doubt mm. uh, the most challenging experience I've had in the studio, and uh, it sucks because. Uh, we worked very hard for the for for that. I, look, people love that record, and that's and that's great, you know. And I listen to it, and I'm this parts of it I'm I'm really okay with. And then there's parts I hear it, and I'm just like, and I remember the difficult, you know, the multiple takes to try to get the grain the way I wanted it, and you know, having to take a you know, just it just you know, fuck, man. Sometimes it happens, and we mm. had a lot of money that was already put into that record at the time. Century Media gave us quite a substantial amount to record that and we were on our last week at that point before before mixdown we were on our last week there was no other time to do it but then and uh, alex went through the same thing alex, when alex was going to do his backups he was sick too and i and i remember telling him i'm like he's like i, I can't do this i'm gonna not not uh, i don't want to record uh, these pots we need uh, i need you know whatever two or three days off and i remember telling him i'm like fuck man i i needed two or three days off too but I, you know, I, I powered through it, find it in you and, and power through it. And he did, he fucking did a great job, you know, but you, you as, a, as a vocalist in that circumstance, you, you know, you just, you, you do the best you can. And I hear it throughout the record. Um, but it's, it's, it's okay. I think that, you know, at the end I had, there was an interview, someone had asked me, I think it might've been Matt Gacky who had asked me if I would be, if, if I would, if I had a chance to go back and re-record that record, would I do it? And I said, I, I said, I think I said at the time, eh, maybe forty percent or something like that, or thirty percent of it. But I, but in hindsight, I, I thought on that answer after, and I thought on it actually for a while afterwards. And I don't think that's the right answer. I think the album is what it is, and I would, I, I wouldn't change anything. It was the experience that that album brought forth. And whatever the whatever experience that whatever is happening in your life, if that's what it is, that's the experience, and that's it. And to go back and wish you could fucking redo pots or redo this or you know the the proverbial issue of of any singer or any musician that listens to it and says, "Oh fuck, I could go back and redo that pot or redo this or change these riffs or whatever the you know whatever whatever it is that they 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 head whatever path they head down in that regard." Uh, I, I I don't believe in that. I think. It is what it is. You release it as it is. And um, 
you know, in the moment I was, I, I, I think I got caught up and said, ah, oh, sure, it'd be cool to, to redo. But now in hindsight, after rethinking about this, I did think about it a few times. I was like, no, nah, that's not the right answer. The right answer is the album is what it is. Mm. And uh, I accept that. And uh, lots of people across the fucking world have accepted it. People love that record. And uh, I do too. You know, I do. Uh, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with how, how it worked out. That was the, that was how that experience was to be laid out. And, and uh, I'm certainly accepting of it. Okay, man. I, I appreciate that, man. And it's just something to go back and listen to. Like you said, you know, from, from the listener's perspective, we never know the nuances of what's going on behind the scene, but you'll always have your own um, recollection. Now with Akarian, even though uh, Coma Cluster Void kind of comes uh, before that, maybe in some of our perception, Akarian was actually like dates back to shortly after you left Cryptopsy. No, it was a while actually after I. Uh, oh shit! It was years. It was years after that because I had I had done a project with um, my wife and uh, Mike Hubbard from Warhorse drummer and from Infestation Two. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, and another friend of ours. Uh, that we had, we're doing like a, a I had, at my house, I had a studio. So we were doing a project. We get together every weekend and um, not every weekend, every, uh, I don't know, once a month anyways. Uh, Mike would come up from from uh, New Hampshire and uh, and we'd get together for a weekend and write songs. So it was more like a psychedelic metal rock kind of thing. Those songs, I really, I love these songs. And uh, I remember trying, I remember showing a few people in, in the industry afterwards about what we were doing and because it's not anything that was relatable to what I had done with cryptopsy or what Mike or you know, what anyone had done with any other project, because it is definitely a rock based project um, with metal stuff. There's certainly metal influences and, and lots of heavy stuff in there uh, as well, but it's kind of a, it's kind of an eclectic mix of, of styles from 70 psychedelic to, to straight up death metal. <clears throat> and uh, we were, we were, I'm like immensely proud of those fucking songs. I, no one's, you know, my friends have heard it. A few other people have heard it. A few people in the, in the industry have heard it. And I, I, I just don't think people were really prepared for, for that. When I presented this to a few uh, friends that I knew from labels and I showed them, Hey, this is what I'm doing now. I think they were like, <laughs> Oh, well, where's the, uh, where's the technical, you know, uh, fucking five, six, eight signatures, you know, where's all that stuff this is this is like rock or you know that kind of thing you're not you're not always singing heavy and stuff like this so uh and that actually that experience is really um I, you know man i it's it's a it's a project that opened my doors uh, in terms of uh an artist to try things that i had never tried before and that is you know things like singing singing rock songs and you know mostly it's been just metal or you know uh you know, from thrash stuff to, to death metal, to, you know, uh, extreme music and, and to, to actually go and do something like this and actually present it as, Hey, this is what I'm doing now. Uh, I think a lot of people were just like, ah, not what we're looking for. This is, you know, we're looking for uh, you to come out and fucking scream, you, you know, your, your fucking throat out, you know, which is fine. And I get that. But for me as an artist, I don't want to be pigeonholed into anything, you know? Uh, sure. I, I, I did. Obviously there is, there, there is a, uh, strength behind that because of the years that I've, you know, been doing that for and, and the, the albums that I've, I've, I've been on uh, as a result, but it, uh, I'm not, you know, I don't look at myself as a one trick pony. And I know the other band members in that do not also, also do not think of themselves as one trick ponies. And, and so we were, we were, 
trying to do something that was very different and I, we certainly succeeded. Uh, someday I'll release these. Uh, I have the intent to release them uh, just myself, mm-hmm. just you know, put them on a web website, uh, an e-commerce store and, and sell it as is. Um, it'll happen, you know, but, uh, but it's, it's certainly, uh, far from what, uh, what people would, would think of me doing and certainly think of what Mike would do, uh, Mike Hubbard and, and my wife and, you know, and JP. So. Okay. I appreciate that. Cause I had heard you talk a little bit about that and I was going to ask you if that's going to eventually see, uh, some sort of release. So, um, we, we kind of, we kind of got around to that. Um, and then, um, but I do have it right that Acurian kind of does predate Coma Cluster Void in some way, or at least around the same time, but it just took up until recently for you guys to come out with the album. Yeah, that's okay. correct. Yeah, sorry, we were talking about that. And I got fucking way off subject. No, because that's, that's yeah. I think that's an important and an interesting part of your history, too, because like you said, it's completely unexpected. And it also goes to show how as, a, how as an artist, especially in something like death metal, extreme metal, we can get pigeonholed. And if you wanted to, say, make a, a rock album or a hip-hop album or a jazz album for a guitarist or something, um, you, you know, you even trying to break through in that in those type of scenes as the as you, you know, you're now the metal guy, you know, it could be it could be tough. So I appreciate um, uh, you, you, you tell, talking about that a little bit. But, yeah, I wanted to get into, um, I guess, a Curion and, and also Coma Cluster Void and just how... Um, those two projects kind of, cause, cause they're, I guess neither one is on kind of a conventional timeline for different reasons. Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, uh, with, with the Curian, um, Rob, Rob and I have been friends for years, you know, Rob Millie and I. So when he had approached me, um, you know, we were off for lunch and he was like, you know, he's like, uh, I think at the time, uh, he was on hiatus, uh, at the time with, uh, with Naraxis. So he was like, fuck, I get some songs and, you know, I'd like to run them by you if you're, if you're interested for me, of course, you know, Rob's a, uh, an incredible fucking musician, incredible guitarist, great fucking great dude. Uh, one of my best friends. And, uh, he, uh, you know, he, when he, when he, he brought those riffs to my house and it was like, instantly it was like, okay, I start feeding off of those riffs and you're throwing lines out there. I remember having a couple of, you know, just one lines, um, just to work in a few of the, okay, this works here, this works there, you know, and, and, and that's how it starts. It, re- it literally starts from fucking from a, a couple of riffs and uh, here's an idea. And then, you know, literally two sentences and and then you build all of a sudden you're building a song around that, you know? And, um, and that's literally how that had happened. Um, so Rob and I were, were, I, th- I want to say we had put three rough songs together and uh, we had all at the time we had Ollie do some drums. Ollie from uh, uh, from uh, Cataclysm <clears throat> had uh, laid down some drums for it, or had, had done uh, programming for two of the songs. And uh, we had a third song that we were working on. All, all three songs that we actually ended up using for the for the album. But we of course made multiple changes. And um, uh, but when he had we, when he had he had done those those tracks for us. We were like, okay, well, that, that's this is great, but obviously we need a, a drummer, and obviously we need a, a bass player. So uh, Rob went to to uh, Tommy. He suggested Tommy McKinnon, and uh, he suggested uh, Ollie Pennard, obviously, and uh, both guys who he had gone on tour with with Naraxis. So he was very familiar with them, and uh, so we brought those guys in and started jamming, and that's really where Curian started to take place outside of just the two of us hashing out some some riffs and uh, trying to piece the songs together. And uh, I think all three of those songs, I had lyrics 
pretty much mostly set for for all three before before uh, Tommy and Ollie came down. And then from there, it went, you know, what, seven years, almost eight years before we, we actually released the record. Mm. Uh, but during that period of time, somewhere in there early on, I got a message from um, from both uh, Gene and uh, <coughs> Sylvia Hines, Gene Strider and Sylvia Hines, um, from Coma Cluster Void. They had reached out to me through, uh, of all places, LinkedIn, and uh, said, hey, we got some songs, and we uh, we like your vocals, uh, your vocal style, and we want to... Uh, want to see if you'd be interested so i've had that happen before over the years where people you know and generally speaking i usually thanks you know i'm i uh, for that type of project i like to be in the same room uh with with the musicians that i'm playing with you know it's just an it's the old school way i just love that you know that's where i, f- I feel a lot where the magic really happens you know mm-hmm. uh but when when gene and sylvia sent me um what they had, uh, uh, I don't know, there was a couple of pieces of songs from CCV early on. Probably the same shit they sent you. <laughs> you can't yeah. pull yourself out of this equation. <laughs> I was well, oh. I, I was getting ready. I didn't want to cut you off, but just for clarity for the listeners. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm credited in Metal Archives as being a part of Coma Cluster Void, but I was never on any of the releases. Very early on, they did contact me and... Respectfully, I had to bow out because I was at a play. First of all, the long distance recording just didn't work for me at that point. I didn't. Get have, it, man. I, I, I didn't. Get it. I didn't have a setup in my house. I didn't really have a friend with a studio. Um, it would. It, it was. It just like didn't really com- wasn't compatible with my life. Not even as a matter of preference, but just out of practicality to be in a band that was like internet based at that point. And I think I was also biting off a little bit more than I could chew at that point with the the the, the bands I was in with people that were in New York, let alone something else out. Of, you know, I was just biting off more right. than I could chew, and I had to kind of own up to that at a certain point and respectfully back out. But um, you, on the other hand, did end up going on to record material with them. Uh, and and figure out, unlike Caveman Will, you figured out how to punch <laughs> punch the buttons and send the files and and do it. Look, you know, you, you know I mean, I thankfully I had already, I had some uh, experience with that with with the Mobus project. That's really where I started to figure out a lot of that stuff, working with the uh, so- different software and uh, and miking things and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the sort of things that go along with that. But um, that make no bones about it, it was still a fucking daunting experience mm. uh, at first because. You know, it's it is new territory. You're you're doing stuff that's you know the, the same people on in the room. I still to this day have never met Gene and Sylvia. None of the band, none of the guys in the band, mm. you know, or, or girls in the band. Uh, I've never met any of uh, of these people. So this project is it has spanned two albums and a third one that's being worked on now. And I have had two separate occasions where I've spoken to uh, Gene uh, via like what we're doing, Zoom or I think it was probably Facebook or something, and. Uh, a FaceTime and, uh, and that's it. I mean, so we've, you know, all that to say is that I've, you know, come from a long, long standing point of, I, you know, never seen myself do something like that, just being in the room with someone and then getting to a point where I can fucking actually record all my stuff and send, send the files and, and have this project that spans a globe with, you know, people from, you know, everywhere that's different, uh, every, you know, from, from New York to, uh, uh, to uh, Oregon, to Germany, to you know the Las Vegas, and <clears throat> it's unbelievable. Um, you know, and I, I love those albums dearly because I, I I felt at the time and still feel right now at, at this point I feel that they're sort of groundbreaking riffs and groundbreaking ideas. I think Jean is a an absolute mastermind. She uh, she's just writing some elite shit that uh, 
not a lot of bands are pulling off. That's that's for sure. There are bands that are, that are playing some really crazy chaotic things. Um, but I, I find Gene is playing those chaotic things, but still manages to keep everything in a nice little package that, you know, you still got your grooves and you still, you know, so it, it, it she might be playing multiple things that are going on at times. Sometimes you listen to the, you know, like some of those songs, especially on like, like you listen to like a, a, on Mind Cemeteries. I listen to some of those riffs and there's mul- there's so many layers of guitars over that. And even though it all sounds like, ah, is this even on time? Of course it is. It's all on time. In some way, some weird abstract way, everything's on time. And uh, she is an absolute fucking master at, uh, at, at putting these songs together. So, so to be a part of that project um, for as long as I have too, I, I, I'm, I, fuck man, I'm, I'm over the moon about that stuff, you know, always have been. And still, I, I, even though it's not my ideal way to, to record, it is certainly an experience that, um, that I cherish. And, uh, you know, I certainly want to, want to finish this third album up and we'll see from there, see what happens after that. All right. That's it. That's good to know. And good to get a little update about that. And for the listeners who aren't familiar uh, highly recommended, especially for people who might be familiar with Mike's work in Cryptopsy, those two albums in particular. Not that Coma Cluster Void sounds like Cryptopsy, but if you can appreciate the technicality therein, um, I, you know, I think your your ears will be able to appreciate some of what's going on there too, man. It's it's extremely interesting and exciting progressive music. It's it's like I I mean I, you'd have to call it metal at the end of the day, but it's really pushing the boundaries. Um, and I, I will say, for yeah. the record, if I could just jump in uh, there for a second, I feel that had you been able to be on that album, it it would have been fucking unbelievable because your voice would have fucking meshed perfectly with that. And I stand by that. And uh, I would have, uh, at the time, I remember uh, when when they first brought that to, to, to my attention that they were bringing you on board, I was like, okay, fucking right. This is going to be uh, one hell of a... So I really did look forward to working with you on that. Just, yeah. Just letting that be, be known. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and I got I to gotta own up to that, man. I think that was probably around 2000, maybe like 15, 16-ish. That's right. That seems and right. And yeah, I, you know, not that I got all my shit together now, but I, I was <laughs> I was, I was, was really, I, things were kind of a mess back then, and um, I wish I could have pulled it off, man. But I, I was just, because I was, you know, earlier today doing the research for this interview, I was reflecting on that a little bit, and I was like, man, you know, because now having Tom who produces the podcast for me behind the scenes. And I, I just have a little bit more access nowadays to doing things like that. So it just wasn't the right time or the, excuse me, the right place, man. But I, I appreciate that. And who knows, man, maybe we'll be able to get, get it together. Um, Either invite you into one of my projects or, or the other way around the other way around before it's all over, man, you know? Awesome, man. Anytime. I, I always have a lot of uh, irons in the fire as do you, because um, you've been very generous with your time, and I hate to get out of here without really bumping this uh, Acurian, um 2020 Come Forth to Me album on Redefining Darkness Records. Like I said, as we go through, we try to recommend music for the listeners. So Acurion, that's A-K-U-R-I-O-N, if I Correct. got it right. Acurion, um, with members of Naraxis, Cattle, De- Ta- Cattle Decapitation, and Ali's actually a current member of Cryptopsy. And like, uh, ironically enough, so uh, just like a, if you 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 got you can go on the Metal Archives yourself, uh, you know, and check it out. This is a pedigree of a band. Um, 2020, you guys put out "Come Forth to Me" on Redefining Darkness. Still a fresh album, very interesting music. Not necessarily what people might be expecting if they're familiar with those bands. 
Uh, but that's not to say it's not as exciting or dynamic as those bands. Just from my perspective, I heard a little bit more maybe of that kind of uh, experimental dissonance and even some doom creeping in there, man. It's it's like it, it's it's tough. It's tough to 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 pin the band down. I'll say that. So I just wanted to maybe let you talk about that album and you know what went in what went into it and um uh so some of the you know they took like seven or eight years, right? So I mean there there might be a little bit to speak of there. Absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, you know, that that record, that's one of those records that, um, you know, I always say that when when we got together, it was the, the goal was to put a record out. It wasn't even to play live. It was nothing like that. It was to put a record out, something that we were happy with. We we were excited about. We felt, you know, great about. So uh, it was a not that not that you ever go into it hoping that people are going to love it or you know whatever the case is i mean you you always want people to dig what you're doing but this was a record that i would say that we put all that shit aside and it was just literally let's write a record what we want to do and and keep it outside the box in many different ways and i'll I'll explain why first being something that wasn't going to be solely what we've done in the past we wanted to add lots of different dynamics to the to to the record that was something that we we went in fully recognizing um what we wanted to do in advance um the other piece to that puzzle was something that we wanted to do was to to record it live we did not want to go in and do track by track by track we wanted to record this live so that meant a ton of practice we were we were fuck man we were we were in the zone by the time we recorded that record we we were we were at the we were at the i'd say the the, the pinnacle of at that time of of playmanship uh, uh, at that point because we were practicing all the time and we because we were going in to record those very technical songs it was very you know they're progressive um, yes, there is, you know, there's some, sure there's some dissonance. There is definitely some doomy stuff in there too. Uh, there is definitely some nods to what we had done in the past. You, you will hear some Naraxis kind of, uh, riffing in there and some cryptopsy riffing and vocals and things like this. Uh, but, but it was certainly not with that intent. We did not once say we want to write these songs in any fashion that was going to be, um, a nod to what we were doing. It just naturally progresses, I think in that, in that, um, in that direction. <clears throat> but, uh, but when we had, we had already said we didn't want to have, you know, clicks on the drums. We, you know, we didn't, we want the natural drum sound. We wanted, um, you know, in the same room, a unit putting those songs, those, you know, very complex songs and having those songs done live. And we succeeded. We did it. We, we recorded those tracks over a weekend in our jam space. And um, we just divided the room up and uh, went through and fucking banged those songs out for two days and took the best tracks. And that's, and then we did overdubs after, of course. I mean, there's always going to be some overdubs, but, uh, but I mean, what your, your, your bread and, and, and butter of that, you know, your bones to you strip everything else away. And that's, that's us playing live. Hmm. All the vocal tracks, all the main vocal tracks are live. Everything's live. And then, you know, like I said, we of course went back over and, and did, you know, overdubs to strengthen it where it needed to be strengthened and stuff like this. So, I mean, we had a fucking ton of ideas that we, we wanted to add, uh, that you know you can't do when you're when you're doing the basic track you know the rhythm tracks and all that stuff so solos and whatever that whatever else we wanted to add <clears throat> and um the time the length between you know from that seven to eight year period of time <clears throat> it was there were there were there were quite a few contributing factors to to why the length uh, was so excessive um 
you know, they, you know, Rob lost his, his dad. I lost my wife. Um, uh, Ollie was playing with cryptopsy. I think he was just starting to get in with, with cattle decap. So he's one of the most fucking busiest guys in the industry you'll ever see, you know? How, how do you play for Cryptopsy and Cattle Decap at the same time? That's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> it's all incredible. Right. He's yeah. fucking, this kid's like, he's got to be on the road all the time. Like that, yeah. you know, and he's like, he's like the hot hunt to trot fucking bass player, right? You know, for years now he's been, uh, and I mean, and with reason, because he mm-hmm. is a phenomenal fucking uh, bass player, you know? So there's a reason people are, are you know, seek him out. And uh, so he, I mean, you know, just being, <laughs> just think of that, like cryptopsy and, you know, so try, try juggling that around with, uh, you know, with writing an album with, uh, uh, with Kyrian. <clears throat> so it, you know, it, it took some time to, to finally get out. And the fucking bummer about that is that when we released the record, we, you know, we had everything, everything was done. We said, okay, we're releasing it whenever the fuck it was, April. I can't even tell you when it was. I think it was somewhere in April, right before COVID hit. Or right after COVID, I think it came out and COVID was just in its first like week or two weeks in. Mm. So on one hand, we were like, well, this could either work really well for us because people are home and people are going to want new music because there's no shows, people stuck in their houses. Um, maybe the people, maybe there's going to be people who are going to gravitate towards albums that are coming out during this period of time. And it just wasn't the case because we weren't able to move as much as we were hoping to not, not that we dying to move fucking records, but I, I just don't think we had a lot of press. We had people who were into it. I think people generally, I think that the metal scene generally really liked the record. And, um, but it just didn't translate to volume of sales. And, you know, it's, it's, that's how the business goes, man. You know? So I think a lot of people, unfortunately don't know the band. Um, you know, I mean, that's, like I said, I, I you know, I guess you could, you could say it's kind of in line with how we had initially gone into it was this is for us. I look mm-hmm. at that record as a record for four guys that, that spent uh, a lot of time putting it together. You know, I had uh, my wife, Jen sang on the record too. We had uh, lots of guest, guest musicians on there. So it wasn't just the four of us. We really had plotted everything out where everything was down to, to, shit every fucking moment on that album what we wanted we knew we went into it very well prepared we after after we had recorded everything we knew exactly who we wanted on the record and we got it all done and um i'm beyond fucking proud of that record really am uh, as you should be, man. And um, I would just say again for the listeners, we we, we uh, strongly suggest everyone check out A-K-U-R-I-O-N, Akurian's 2020 album, Come Forth to Me on Redefining Darkness Records. That With what you just said now, um, last question about that is, are, do you guys play live? Are, are there plans to play live? I know the other members have a busy schedule. You yourself, I'm sure, have other things going on. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it, it's definitely a project that was, that was a studio project. Um, we kind of, I, I, you know, we, when we had presented the, the project, anytime we presented the project to anyone, it was always, it's a, it's a studio album. We're not looking to play live. Um, we did have a couple of opportunities that were, that came our way. And I think at the time, the, the amount of time it would take to get back into playing shape at the time after the album, we, I, I think once we released, once we finished the record, we didn't play again. So the last time that we got together was as the four of us playing in the same room was when we recorded that. And that's literally the last time we played. We never played again after that. 
we did get together to do, you know, all the, all the, uh, obviously we were all there when we, when we, we added all the stuff on, but um, we did not get together a single time after that. So by the time the show's interest for shows started coming around and there was only a, only a couple that I think we had a few, there was maybe like three or four that we were just like, no, we're not interested. Just, it just made no sense. And then, uh, and then there was maybe two shows that came our way that we were like, huh, that could be interesting. And, uh, and then it just didn't make, you know, I hate to say it, but it didn't make financial sense for us to put all that work back into get back into sound playing shape to go to said place and to make said amount that wasn't really representative to, to what we felt, uh, would warrant that kind of work and mm-hmm. yeah, we weren't going to go in the red is my point we weren't going in the red for no fucking for a show so it just never materialized yeah. and and i think we were okay with that um you know i, I think in hindsight certainly would have been fun to 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 play and i you know i i, th- I think we would have fucking slayed live i think we you know we did certainly the pedigree in the in the band like these are these are all incredible musicians the three of them are fucking unbelievable now, tommy's a fucking un- the guy's an incredible drummer and and rob obviously great guitarist holly you know and so so i know we would have laid it down we would have laid waste to wherever we played but it just you know it didn't happen and i i I don't at all think about it like ah what if yeah it's fine well yeah you can't look at things like that man especially Ah. in underground metal especially not man nothing's nothing's promised with an underground metal um (laughs) But but that being said, saying nothing's promised underground metal, uh, before I let you off the hook, Mike, what, uh, or I'll say it like this, is there anything you would like to plug or promote coming up or anything fans of um, of you as an artist should look out for uh, coming in 2023? Uh, shit, man, I got a lot of, I, right now I'm afforded a lot of opportunities right now, some of which I can say and some of which are going to be um, news that I'll have to come back on and talk to you about. <laughs> Fair enough. So there, there is there is some shit that's that's coming, and I'm I'm I'm, ex- I'm fucking extremely excited about uh, the news will be news will come out sometime in the next few months, I would say. Um, you know, right now for like musical projects in a coma cluster void, I know we were going to finish up the third album. We've we've recorded two. Uh, we do two songs at three, two songs I think, and there was a third song that Gene had sent us, but we haven't. We haven't laid tracks down for it yet. I think I think she just sh- sort of showed us what what's to come, and uh, she usually will make you know she'll refine some things. Um, so I assume that record is still going to be on, and uh, we'll finish that record off. I have the other uh, another project with um, Matt Barraby and Alex Hebert and Pat Hamlin from Gorguts. <clears throat> uh, Matt ba- Matt Barraby from Terramobile, and uh, that that project is going to be a name change, but that. Right now, there's four songs, fifth, there's five songs for the album. The fifth song, I'm going to, this week, actually, I'm going to finish up the uh, the recording for this. This is a delay, and this is, this delay is solely on me. These guys are uh, champions to fucking still, still uh, hang on to this because I'm, I'm late on this. Uh, but the later, the better, because it's going to be a fucking killer record. Um, we, we, we will be changing the name. Uh, I don't know what the name's gonna the name change is gonna be, but uh, we'll uh, we'll have a five song EP that's gonna come out from that, and that's some incredibly heavy shit, man. It's it's it, there is a lot of dissonance on there, but there's also some some incredible breakdowns, and uh, these guys are these guys are incredible musicians. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm working on some um, 
some, I'm helping a necrotic mutation with uh, Rob. Actually, Rob Milley is, uh, has joined them with Jan Thiel and uh, obviously, obviously uh, Seb uh, Croteau and, and uh, uh, Tremblay. <clears throat> but that's the, the lineup that it is now. And I'm helping with some lyrics from there. I'm writing a book right now. I'm, I'm putting that together. I'm compiling uh, uh, lyrics and poems and all sorts of So, Man, I got a fucking ton of shit going on. It's good. Wow. I love it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah, man. It's keep busy and uh, immerse myself in uh, in any kind of artistry I can possibly uh, possibly do. Absolutely. That that is great, man. So so people definitely uh, should look out for your name on the metal blogs and uh, social medias of the world uh, for these upcoming projects. And the final question that I always try to get out of everybody before I let you off the hook is, can you please recommend for me and the listeners one older and one newer uh, music release, whether it's an album, a demo, or EP, metal, or any other genre of music, just something from a little bit back in the day and something from the last few years, uh, just two, two, two pieces of music uh, to, to recommend to people and why they're important to you. Ooh, shit. Okay, I will say, I'm going to say this one right now because I have it here and I've been listening to it. Boom. <laughs> Fucking come on. He's holding, he's, he's just for the listeners, he's holding up a vinyl copy of Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, uh, <laughs> just with, within reach this entire interview, apparently. Yeah, and that's a, uh, that's a, that's a mega one that, uh, I just, uh, any, any of the, I mean, any Sabbath really, but, uh, but with Dio, I mean, Dio's, my favorite vocalist, so mm, okay. Uh, I just love that, and I, I'm going to show this one here too, which no one will see. But uh, this one is—it's uh, called Doc Mock Does Christmas 2020. I just—I just borrowed this from a friend of mine. This is a brand new one. This is—it's a, a Christmas album that I'm listening to in fucking February, January, whatever. Yeah, we're in January. So this is uh, Mark Lanigan doing Christmas songs, but some of his own songs and some. Uh, some like classics like uh, Oh Holy Night, you know, the, the good ones. And um, aside from like Nat King Cole doing Christmas uh, songs, which is maybe the only Christmas album I like, this album is fucking amazing. <laughs> it's now, amazing. Wait a minute. I'm going to be stupid here. Who's Mark Lanigan? Okay. Mark Lanigan is, uh, uh, he was the vocalist uh, for The Screaming Trees. Okay. He was with the All Mark right. Lanigan band, and he's just—he's got one of those whiskey deep voices. He's a singer-songwriter. He's got a stack of records on his on his own, and uh, he's okay. got a ton of shit outside of that, and and guest spots with with you know Cult of Luna, and um, he was singing with um, Queens of the Stone Age, and uh, I mean he's been—he's just one of those guys that everyone has gravitated towards because he's got incredible lyrics, great voice you know great persona wild fucking crazy guy and this record is phenomenal it's it's if this doesn't make you it doesn't make me weep but if it doesn't make some of you weep <laughs> it's one of those kind of records man it's uh, it's a uh, don't think of it as a christmas album it's it's really a somber mm. very dark release with christmas connotation the connotations uh but but that's about it. It's uh, it's a very dark record. All right, man. Wow, rattling off the. Um, I like how your vinyl collection is like always within reach during this interview, man. You were just oh right. yeah, I got them all around me. <laughs> Sometimes people got to stop and take a minute to think for that question, man. But you rattled. I like so the Dark Mark uh, Christmas album. Um, and the, uh, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, that's great. I actually, I, I don't have it within reach, but I was at, uh, shout out to Record Reserve, our local record store here in, record store here in town. We interviewed Timmy, the owner, on an older episode of the show. I bought Black Sabbath, 
um, Sabotage on uh, 12-inch vinyl today. It's, it's like some sort of reissue, uh, whatever, Graham vinyl, you know, but I had to splurge a little bit, man. So I um, I got that, and I have Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath on vinyl now, man, on, on new, yeah. you know, new vinyl. I have a copy of Master of Reality that looks like somebody was – I don't know what they were <laughs> doing off of it back in the day, but it's all messed up, man. I still got an original of that. Uh, <laughs> funny story about that, actually, if you, if you got time. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, Master, Mastery of, uh, Master of Reality. When um, – I was I was a kid and I was I was sick. My mother's like, oh, I'm going to uh, whatever Stewart's or whatever fucking department store. I knew that record was there. I'd seen it the last time I was there. So I'm like, okay. Um, she's like, what can I get you? You know, you're not feeling well. I was like, shit. You want to get me a record? Oh, sweet. How about Master Master of Reality? So she goes and gets it. She comes home and on the back of that particular record. So this must have been. I was young. So she. Uh, on the back of it, it's uh, uh, After Forever, and it's uh, Would You Like to See the Pope on the End of the Rope? Do you think he's a fool? She sees that line. She comes back and tosses the record over to me. <laughs> She's like, this is here. You want this shit? <laughs> I don't think I didn't read those lyrics on the back. I'm dying laughing. I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, yeah, that's that's nothing. But, of course, it has nothing to do with what she thought it did, obviously. you know. And uh, she just saw the words yeah. on those two lines. And, uh, and 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 sort of went ballistic on it. Still bought me the record. <laughs> Came back with it, and, uh, and you know, the rest is history. So, <laughs> wow, that's funny because well, as a kid, I always remember listening to and like the that song kind of confused me because a lot of Black Sabbath songs were more about like. Um, uh, opening your mind to God or opening your mind to spiritual, you know, it wasn't like, like after forever, but like that was more of a sarcastic line, you know, it's, it's just yep. funny how it was misinterpreted, man. But I guess that's the classic story with, with black Sabbath, man. The parents don't understand. Um, uh, wow. So, uh, Mike, I really appreciate your time tonight, giving us your story, uh, the way you have, man, I'm sure the listeners enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, and again, I'm just going to plug one more time that Akurian, A-K-U-R-I-O-N, Akurian 2020, uh, Come Forth to Me is the name of the album on Redefining Darkness Records. Uh, that band, of course, in addition to Mike DeSalvo featuring um, uh, guys who are, who are famous for having played in Naraxis, Cattle Decapitation, and uh, cur- a current member of Cryptopsy as well. I strongly urge the listeners to check that out uh, and keep their ears and eyes peeled for your projects that you're working on um, coming up later this year. Mike, any parting words for fans of your music? and listeners of our show oh fuck uh you know look well uh, thank i just want to thank you anyways we'll start right there uh, thank you so much for the uh for the opportunity uh i love doing these and uh and uh when it's with a guy that i respect uh, as much as i as i do uh for you this is this is an absolute honor so thank you very much uh, thank you for the compliment, Mike. Right, right back at you, man. I, I, I appreciate it, man. And we'll be in touch. Um, and maybe we'll have you back on again another time, man, if you're not sick of it. Maybe we'll just talk hockey and pro wrestling for an hour one night. Done you know, and man. done. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I got it. I'm not going to steal content, like I said, but that Juice Pro Wrestling podcast, yeah. they got it. I think they're the one with a clip of you talking about Brutus uh, the Barber Beefcake. That's uh, it, yeah. Having a little family dinner with you uh, at, at some point, man. But again, I'm not going to steal their content, man, but that was awesome yeah 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 totally yeah <laughs> i've been on that show a few times and uh fuck i love those guys they're uh they're great fun yeah. fun podcast yeah i'm, I'm not yeah. in competition we're all in co- uh, this is like the underground with Absolutely. the podcasting yeah. it's all it's all good man but mike yeah. um thank you very much brother thank you cheers
I just want to thank you and Justin, the heavy the heavy whole podcast team, I'll just say, our extended network and family here, uh, the listeners. That was uh, a classic heavy whole podcast moment. Um, uh, credited, of course, to Mike DeSalvo, not to the heavy old pocket. Thank you so much to him for his time. Uh, really appreciate him breaking all of that down that he did. Um, want to get him back uh, someday. I mean, that was, uh, that was a wild ride, man. Shout out to Mike DeSalvo. Make sure you go back and check out, um, all the music he's, uh, left in his wake and his catalog. And of course that new album by Acurian that we were just, uh, relentlessly hyping during the interview on redefining darkness records, man. Um, uh, awesome time with Mike, man. We appreciate that. And it did go a little bit um, longer. We kind of, you know, I wanted to give it to you guys, old school, classic, heavy whole podcast tonight. And I really feel like Mike was able to deliver that. And that's the type of content we're going to try to aspire to as we go into the year. Um, and Tom, if you don't mind, I just got a few quick uh, uh, shows I want to plug. Sure. Going go forward for, it. for the future here before we get out of here, man. And thanks to the listeners. You've been with us a while here. Uh, the listeners, it might have been since the Scattered Remnants Marathon episode that they've been with us this long. Listen, um, February 10th, today, if you're still with us, if you listen to this episode fresh on the drop, February 10th today at Vitus, you can still catch Reeking Aura, Outer Heaven, and Horrendous. Um, Three-piece combo. Uh, nice. Right to your dome, February 10th. Um, if you missed that, hey, I'm not mad at you, because February 21st at the Meadows in Brooklyn, you can, of course, catch Coronary Thrombosis, Torturous Inception, um, Exsanguinated, which, uh, shameless plug, that's myself, uh, and also um, uh, Sam Sherrick on drums, who you hear co-hosting the program sometimes. Uh, all of us are going to be supporting Internal Bleeding and Vomit Forth. Uh, Century Media Recording Artists, both of those bands represented, I think every one of those bands being represented at some point by a member uh, being interviewed on this podcast. Yeah, we've had them all, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Got, we, we caught them all, just like Pokemon. But those bands have changed and evolved. It might be time to get some more people on, man. Yeah. So, well, Torturous, I just want to get Dustin on and do shrooms while we have a podcast, allegedly. <laughs> Um, AMH, if you're not trying to go out to New York City and you want to stay on Long Island, Amityville Music Hall, March 3rd, Mortician, F mortician and this might be i'm not sure this might be mortician's first appearance on long island since the 90s I, we have to fact check that i, don't I bought a ticket because i know how cramped it gets there so if you want to see wow. mortician on the south shore of long island act fast tom it warms the cockles of my heart that you are not that friend who the second the show is announced pops into the text like yo you got a guest list <laughs> i'm so i can't such I, an awkward position man such awkward especially when there's usually most underground death metal shows the guest list is less than the number of band members so it's like I, you got to kind of got to fight it out for who's going to bring someone in anyway yeah i mean i i just don't like i get offers you know you've yeah. offered you've put me on the guest list when it works uh when it doesn't work we did the old reverse guest list what, what we did we did the old Mastic Shirley guest list over there at the at Rams. Oh, you you yeah, had already yeah. paid. I pay I paid yeah, yeah no, I paid Anthony. I, I said no, 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 no. This man's money is no good here. <laughs> <laughs> no shout to Christmas Seal. Yeah, I'm gonna be uh, a guest listed tomorrow at a Thought Crime show. This yeah. is already passed by the time you listen. Uh Russ Savarese, friend of the show, reeking uh, reeking uh, wreath of tongues. And uh Thought Crimes. Yeah, he invited me out, so I'll be seeing Vitus. But you know what? <clears throat> that doesn't concern you, actually. But I'm just flexing no, my no, guests. No, 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 no. Yeah, you just got to flex, Tom, huh? Back on the podcast, time to flex. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Moving on. AMH, Amityville Musical, March 3rd, Mortician. 
with Afterbirth. We are honored to make that appearance. Uh, Thetis, shout out to the guys. Uh, again, Thetis, a band that's been represented on this podcast before. Uh, Terrell from Thetis, um, regular co-host of the show. And Bowel Erosion. Boys are back at it again, man. You know, Bow- Big Bowel had to get down on that. If Mortician's coming to Long Island. And that, you know, big big bowels get in on it. You know, they don't let anyone come in on the. Te- they're are, like dusty roads. You're not moving in on the territory. Are there shows on Long Island anymore that Sam Sherrick isn't playing drums at? Emo shows. Okay. Yeah, emo shows. I wasn't counting those, but <laughs> and uh, cover yeah. cover band shows. <laughs> That's about it, though. Yeah. Um, uh, Saint Vitus, March fifteenth. Uh, if you weren't paying attention, go back and listen to last week's episode with John Lambert from Noise Dosage Media about his new documentary celebrating the culture of underground death metal. We are having, um, or I should say, I am fortunate enough to be uh, part of an event John is uh, curating at St. Vitus Bar, March the 15th, where they are going to be showing the movie, uh, and at the um, intermission point, halfway through point of the movie, they're going to be breaking for uh, myself and uh, John Lambert of Noise Dosage Media to interview John McKenty of incantation and uh, maybe exchange some stories about metal and do a little audience Q&A. So please don't miss that. March the 15th at St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn. There's going to be a screening of the movie Between Exultation and Aggression, an underground extreme death metal documentary. Uh, March the 15th. You can check that movie out on YouTube. And halfway through the movie, there's going to be an intermission um, with myself and John Lambert and John uh, McKenty from Incantation, special guest of honor. So check that out. Um, April the 23rd, Sunday, back at Amityville Music Hall. Uh, 6.30 started off for an early show on a Sunday night. Not One Truth from New Jersey. Um, Exsanguinated, a band I'm in with Sam Sherrick. And uh, Malabolgia, brand new um, de- ignorant caveman death metal that you don't want to run into in the woods at night. Uh, and, and other bands will be there at uh, Amityville Music Hall on April the 23rd. Last thing I got to tell you about, New York City. I'm not even on this one. This is just notable. Um, listeners of the podcast Lore might remember a man named Fergus, a.k.a. Big Sal. Oh. He allegedly has been doing, um, what are they, pirouettes, like ballet? Pirouettes, yeah. He's taking ballet classes uh, and knitting to improve his dexterity because he's coming out of pit retirement over Labor Day weekend, May the 24th, New York City, Dark Funeral is making an appearance in New York City, sir. The band Dark nice. Funeral is back. Yes, sir. Um, Dark Funeral, obviously, classic, uh, somewhat melodic, blackened, death metal, deathened black metal, however you want to slice it, from Sweden. In our hearts, in, our, in my circle of friends, really just a Long Island hardcore band. You know, it's funny. I, I've heard a bunch of comparisons. One I drew when I saw them live the first time is that they were like the Ramstein of black metal because mm. the sound, it is the wall of sound Ooh. that they create so well. Great band. Yeah. Great band. Yeah. But apparently, if you can get drunk and spin kick somebody to their music, they count as Long Island hardcore. So yeah, you can catch, yeah, watch that guy, Fergus. Watch for the guy that looks like security, but he's drunk. <laughs> it's, it does, it's, not, it's not making sense. All right. Um, but that's all, man. I had some shows I had to rattle off. I appreciate you sticking with me here. appreciate Mike DeSalvo sticking with us for a full uh, hour and a half there. I appreciate, Tom, you sticking with the podcast and everything you do week to week. Uh, there are no recommendations this week. We're going to cut it a little bit short here because we've been going for a while already with uh, Mike. But you heard all the music that Mike recommended. And, um, of course, uh, you know, you can always... 
go on to our Patreon. We have extra content on Patreon, uh, Heavy Hole Podcast at patreon.com. Check us on the social medias, um, except for the sketchy ones that you get flagged for. Uh, what else, Tom? Anything I forgot to mention there? Bro, I can't. Oh, the voicemail. We don't have a lot of voicemails. No, we have one. I think we're going to yeah. play it on the next episode because it's yeah. really late. So I thought it would be funnier if we made it later. Yeah, we're just going to. It was for the holidays. Now it's going to be for lonely, drunk Valentine's Day. Um, But yeah, check the voicemail number wherever you're listening to this. It should be in the description. Heavyholepodcast.com. Heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. We want your. Um, uh, your send us your knowledge, send us your wisdom. We want to we want to learn from you, the listener, and then we want to talk about these topics and interview these people that you suggest on the show. All right? Yeah, man, good suggestions coming in in the email. Yeah, so we try. Bad suggestions too. We don't listen to every single one. Rose, 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 rose,